All right, let's pray. Father, your people turn to you with open hands and hope to receive good things from you. We don't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And so I pray that be well fed this morning, that we count so special, that we remember, that we look forward and hope. Lord, all this because of you. So I pray that you would establish our hearts firmly in this truth and that you would uh, use this truth to carry us through the struggles and uh, even the joys. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The birth of Jesus is a fulfillment of a promise God had made, or even I would say a desire that God had in creating human beings in his likeness. It's a desire to dwell with them. Um, we look at ourselves today, we look at our fellow man, and we understand how unworthy, or hopefully we come to understand how unworthy we are uh, to be the objects of such a desire. And yet, that is how he begins to create this thing. We sometimes read the fall narrative in Genesis 3 and think that somehow we screwed up God's plan to dwell with his people. But I would argue, because of who God is, that there is no possibility of messing up his plan. And in fact, you read from Romans 8 that he subjected creation to futility in hopes that we would receive the freedom and the glory of the sons of God through Jesus. It's all about him getting glory and how he makes a people uh, for his possession, how he makes a holy people. And he goes even one step further in his creation of us and his likeness, and he gives us opportunity to believe, trust, walk, in hope and faith in the Adam and Eve, even by sight, as they walk with God in the cool of the day, or to assume that we are somehow better and circumvent His holiness and His glory to find it ourselves. Well, that experiment obviously fails. And I had a discussion this week about the purpose of God in creation, and I'm not trying to get too deep here, too heady, but the purpose of God in creation would appear to be that he is making known to his creation that there is no good apart from him. And so we were created to constantly and consistently dwell with him in the presence of his holiness, just like the angels that remain in that presence but to a different degree that we become the objects, the objects of his great desire to dwell with us. 
and that he communicates that desire from the very beginning and carries it through to fulfillment until we see Jesus arrive in a manger. Which is, as we sing, God with us. So the great fulfillment, which should cause us great worship at the sign of that fulfillment, is that God has come to be with us. That's, that's the birth of Jesus. And it's, I don't, I don't want to uh, put any gloom over our Christmas Eve day, but it is far more um, messy and filthy and dirty than we like to think of it. I mean, cri- Christmas represents the fact that we need a Savior And so much so that he is going to uh, drink the full cup of God's wrath due our sin in our place. So it's it's cute to have a manger scene. It's it's you know it's great that there's this great rejoicing from the heavenly host before the shepherds and that they get to see. There's lots of rejoicing as there should be, but the reason he's there is because, number one, of his desire to dwell with his people. And number two, that has been made nearly impossible uh, by our filth, our dirtiness, and our sin. So that baby is God with us to take our place in what is the most horrific scene known to mankind, Jesus on a cross. Now, we look at all that, and we do rejoice now, because we know what all that leads to. We know that through all the muck and the mire, we know that through all the darkness, we know that through all the life that he lived with men, and and how that all went about, and and we know the great um, scene at the crucifixion, and we know all that, but we know that he lives. We know that that is all part of his purpose to uh, create a, a, a relationship that he can finally dwell with his people like he always intended. And so I think the worship gets made more full as we see that God is making good or carrying out or fulfilling his desire to dwell with his people. So when I read the Old Testament, I see that the only sufficient Savior for God's people is God. When I read about all the kings and all the judges, and when I hear all these prophets, nobody is sufficient. To, when I see King David, nobody is sufficient to, to give God's people what they really need and to fulfill God's desire. No one is sufficient except Him. And so then when you read things like Isaiah 53 and you realize that this suffering servant is is God with us coming to do this awful thing for us. And so maybe you have the desire like Peter or like Thomas and and you're just so appalled at the fact that, that God could be coming to take our place under his own wrath. 
And so you, you want to push him away from that and just keep him in the glory. <coughs> and I understand that. But unless he comes, like he tells Peter, unless I wash you, you will not be clean. And so you kind of have to let this baby grow like Joseph and Mary do. And you have to stand there at the cross like Mary and you have to watch. You have to watch God fulfill his desire to dwell with his people who by their sin have created a chasm with him and actually become his enemies before he makes them his children. So we can't get lost in the, uh, the commercial aspect of even our Christian Christmas. We have to get deep into what it's for. And, and if you so despair your own sin and your own heart, I would argue that Christmas becomes more meaningful to you. Because then he's actually here for you. Then again, you get to open this gift anew as you remember back into this Christmas story and, and see again the majesty and the glory and the love that he shows by doing this thing. And so we're going to read this in a second and we're going to see all the glory in it and all the, all the beauty in it but also understand that he is descended from heaven. The God of the universe is, is born probably essentially in a cave. You know, we, we're not worthy of, of such a thing. Well, he knows that, right? but he is condescending to where we are. You, you can't find that in any other faith in the world. There is always a reaching up or a, or a striving to get to where whatever their idea of God is. But only in history do you have a, such a story of such a birth, uh, of such this coming into human depravity to take away the sins of the world and to give us a hope that extends beyond our current trouble and pain and suffering into an eternity of hope and love and joy and peace. So there's, there's so much in Christmas. And I was talking to a, a pastor friend of mine recently and it's the first time that they had done kind of four weeks of Advent at his church. And he said, you know, I was really glad that we decided to do that because it helped our people to solemnly meditate on why God makes Christmas happen. And I've told you before that um, some of our forefathers in the faith expected um, in the weeks leading up to Christmas for the preachers to preach on death and judgment and heaven and hell. Because it brings to bear, right, what the true need is and therefore uh, puts into light or shapes perfectly the great 
gift of Christ. And we've already looked at just the, the way that God confounds the wisdom and the strength uh, of the world. Because this young girl, unwed, never been a mother, and this man who's never been a father, here's my son. It just is mind-blowing. So we start in verse 1. In those days, a, decrees went out, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when, I hate saying this name, Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, or clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So you see even the way that, that Luke and even Matthew kind of even abbreviate his arrival. It was, besides what we're getting ready to see with the shepherds and the angels, it, it was of really no uh, note or significance to anybody. He, he kind of flew in under the radar, which is in direct contrast to the way he is coming again the second time, by the way. Okay? We see this because Jesus lets us know when he arrives here on earth, he's here to serve. Right? He's, he's here to take away the sins of the world. He's here to wash us, cleanse us, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He comes here. When he's coming again... It's a complete different uh, um, endeavor. He's getting his people out. And he is destroying everything else so that he can make it all new. He is creating this eternal dwelling place. He's taking it for himself and for his people. He's taking it with complete power and authority with righteous indignation and fire in his eyes, everyone will know when he splits the eastern skies. Victory will be announced as he arrives in here, but right now he is coming to serve, coming to cleanse. And so it's quiet. It's humble. And, and isn't that the characterization that we see of him even from Philippians chapter 2? Even as we see him walk to the cross, he keeps his mouth silent. He's, he is fulfilling uh, what God has ordained to be fulfilled. He is trusting completely in the sovereignty of God the Father as he is also part of God and understanding that all these things that he's working out in his human life here are for eternal glory, not only for him, but for his people. So he endures the shame of the cross for the glory. He, he obeys his father even to the point of death, even death on a cross. He counts others as more important than himself. He shows us how to, how to walk through this time like him in expectant hope of glory that is to be yours. So in 
Jesus and God giving Jesus to the world, like we're just reading here, he is presenting us with a hope of glory, his glory. Well, how do we get that? It's his glory. He can't, it doesn't separate from him. He's bringing us to himself. He's putting us in his presence by uh, taking away uh, the chains and the effects of sin and death, and he is placing on us robes of righteousness dipped in the blood of Christ and now able to be presented to him as his holy people, his spotless, blameless bride without blemish. He's accomplishing that now. And I'm always amazed, too, at times when you read, especially in the Psalms or in the prophecies, God can speak about these things in eternity past like they have happened. Even when in time they haven't happened yet. You know why? Because his sovereign reign means that his plans and his will surely happen and nothing interrupts it. So we go back again to the garden with Adam and Eve, and are they interrupting the, the, the plan and the will of God? No, they're not. They are moving through his story. And he has given them some sort of responsibility and autonomy to do that, but yet he reigns supreme over all of that so that it fits and fills his very purposes. So you don't get to the nativity or Mary doesn't get to have Jesus uh, in this and, and place him in this manger unless God can do that. Unless God can say he's going to do it and then he can fulfill it at the fullness of time, Galatians 4 tells us. You, you just can't get through all the prophecy and all the centuries to this baby in a manger unless God is who God is. Which is what makes this story so amazing. And which is why Christmas should give us hope for the future. Right? If he can fulfill this, if he can do this, then everything that he's promised to do, that he speaks of is almost like it has been done, we can count on perfectly 100%. And, and you get there in your faith when you read stories like this and when you read your Bible and when you, when you come to a place where you concretely understand and believe and agree that not only has he done these things, but he said he was going to do them long ago. So let's follow the pattern. There's things that he's saying he's still going to do. And I don't know what point in time they're coming, but based on his track record, they're going to happen. It gives us a surety of God in our faith that is the gift that will keep us Christians until we die. And he does that. He's the only one who can establish such a confidence in himself. It's amazing. I mean, we, we look at our... Uh, sports figures in this culture and you know we say man you know I want that guy on my team deep into the playoffs he's going to deliver and they get 
paid to do so, right? But they're men or women, and they can get hurt, and they can fail, and their desires cannot be fulfilled just because they desire it. But yet God, for God to desire something, you, you cannot... You cannot interrupt his desire to carry out his will for his glory. And that's history. That's the realness of Christmas. Verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, or for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now we'll we'll look at this a little bit tonight, but the fact that the Angels are announcing to shepherds the birth of the Savior, I think is a foreshadowing of the fact that shepherds are going to become like heralds, like these angels are, to announce to God's sheep that God has come, that the Savior has fulfilled his mission, and they are to turn unto him, and his sheep will, what? Hear his voice. As these angels come from the presence of the glory of the Lord and it radiates and shines around these shepherds, so shepherds in the future are are coming from the presence of God and are bringing forth the good news that brings great joy for all people about Jesus. That's, That's all we do. That's not all we do. That's the just of what happens now. And right, you've always heard that these are the lowly figures of society. They're kind of vagabonds. They're, they don't make much money for their trade. They kind of have a hard life um, out in the wilderness. And there's danger, right? David was a shepherd, and he's fighting off bears and lions. and You know, it's just tough. But that's where they start. This, this, is, this whole birth narrative of Jesus is making sure that we understand that if you think you're far too lowly or if you're too far off uh, from the things of God to be part of the things of God, you are way off. That's exactly who he's here for. That the prerequisite for receiving this gift or this Savior is that you are a vile human being. That you are, by nature, a child of His wrath. That's all you have to... That's the only place you have to start. Good news, huh? So, here they come. The glory of the Lord brings them fear because they know who they are. But the angel announces in verse 11 
that for unto you, unto you, that, that the baby's not just for Joseph and Mary, but these shepherds are getting an announcement from heaven that the gift is for them. That's confusing, right? We don't get gifts. We don't deserve anything. Our, the world doesn't give us anything. But heaven's going to give us something? And he, he makes known to them, I don't know who these shepherds were, what their background was, we don't, we don't know. But this great, simple announcement, everything captured in this phrase, that this, in the city of David, there's a birth. So we've got a fulfillment of, of this child that's, that's coming, this Emmanuel, to be born of this virgin, and that he's of the house and lineage of David, this throne that, that God had promised David that he would fulfill for a, forever, this Savior these, these, to, to set the people free from their enslavement, their bondage, this anointed one, this Messiah who reigns supreme, who is master over his people. He's here now. That was a lot in just one sentence. And the shepherds are the ones who hear it. And they tell them, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Um, if you fast forward in your Bible, another place that you see this scene of heavenly host singing these praises to God is in the Revelation. It's around the throne. And when you see that scene in Revelation, you're seeing it in the presence of God. Well, where's God when these, what, what, they're singing, but the shepherds are seeing it. What, where's the presence of God right now? <coughs> Jesus is here. To dwell in his midst is to be in heaven. To be in the presence of perfect glory. And again, we use this term here, the angels do glory to God in the highest. In other words, you don't, you, you don't go any higher than God. There is no greater power. There is no greater um, king. There is no greater authority. There is no greater force. There is no greater love. There is no greater hope. There is no greater peace. There is no greater pleasure. He is the pinnacle of everything. And the pronouncement that on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's exclusive. And it's not pleased in the sense with those who have done well, like God has come to reward them. Obviously, that's not the case. It's with those like Mary that he has shown favor. And they understand and Mary understands there's no reason for him to show me favor. 
And that's what that word means. It's, a, it's an unmerited grace. It's, it's a complete decision by the counsel of God's will to place upon a person and people His grace and His glory. Because all men have gone astray. All men have turned aside from God. No one seeks God. Mary wasn't looking for the, to be the, the virgin to have the Messiah. We're not looking for him. These shepherds aren't looking for him. They're just looking for better pastures for their sheep or a place to bed down for the night. But he infiltrates all of these scenes and makes them something different. The ordinary and the mundane, when they are touched by the will of God for his purposes, become extraordinary and become supernatural. And I would argue that all Christians should understand that all of their life and all the things they have to do serve an eternal purpose. And so God, his glory and his presence dwelling within us by his spirit, enter in into those everyday mundane scenes and, and create in them a glory or a weight of, of glory that is, that is building up to His return. That we can praise Him in every situation and scenario that we find ourselves in because somehow, in some way, God is using it for His glory. And I'm talking everything. I change diapers a lot. And somehow, that's for His glory. Somehow, that is preparing this child, or that is preparing my heart, or that is giving me, I don't know what it's doing, but it is doing something to lead to His glory. For those children to glorify Him, or for whatever, but it's amazing. So, all of this for those whom He has pleased, or another way to say that is with those whom He has shown favor. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So you see that, right? You see kind of the foreshadowing of how God is going to Pronounce to the world a savior, who, how he's going to call his sheep in. He's going to use shepherds. And when they pronounce these things about what the Lord has shown them or said, okay, that's how he shows us, then they're going to wonder. Or they're going to have this great um, pondering at what they hear. And Mary is taking these things because she's starting right from day one from Gabriel's announcement. She, she's told these things are coming. Let it be done to me, she says, as a servant of the Lord, as a slave of the Lord. And she is just wondering how all of this is going to eventually play out. How great is this child going to be? What, what exactly is going to take place with this life now that I'm somewhat responsible for? Mary doesn't even know the glory and the greatness and the love which this child will show 
the world. And so we hear things about the Lord all the time. And I would argue that we need to be like Mary and like these people that heard and constantly meditate on these things that we hear and, and so that it builds up in us this excitement and this expectation of what is yet to come. So that when finally that day arrives that you get to see the Lord face to face, it is the fulfillment of all your desires. God is fulfilling his desire to dwell with us. Then if you are one of his, what becomes your desire? And when is it fulfilled? So we wait for it with patience. We wait for it with patience because God is sure to deliver on his promises just like he did in coming to us. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. I like how this sentence is, is, is structured. As it had been told them. So everything that you have been told about the Lord, when you see it fulfilled face to face in his presence, what does Revelation say you will do? You will glorify and praise him forever because everything you've been told or all the true things you've been told are, are fulfilled in that moment and you realize now then to a perfect degree that yes this is what was meant by these things that i heard so we're getting we're seeing in a mirror dimly right right now first corinthians 13 tells us but then face to face so if your desires are now not to dwell with him, to see him face to face, there is um, some deep meditation and pondering that needs to take place into your heart as to what you really want. And we can frame it in the, in the flavor of this season. What do you want for Christmas? Is it just another thing? It's passing away quickly. Or is it something that lasts? Something that brings eternal joy and peace and love? Something that you can't purchase? Something that can't wear out? Something that moth or rust cannot destroy nor thieve break in and steal? What you desire, that tells you a lot about where your heart is this Christmas. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So he's, Joseph was told, you're going to call his name Jesus. Mary's told, you're going to call his name Jesus. But Joseph's told you're going to call his name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. And if you get into the etymology or the, or the name of what Jesus means, right, it speaks about the presence of God. And so you see in Jesus God with his people to save them from their sins, 
to fulfill his desire, to give them new desires, and gives us cause for great joy. And so all this culminates in what? Worship. All the fulfillment that God gives here and all the fulfillment that God's going to give us later is all going to uh, result in worship. What else would there be to do? So I, I, can't even, I can't even describe with human words what kind of worship we're talking about. It's not just an act you'll do. It's, it's, it's something you'll be surrounded in body and, and mind and spirit. All together rejoicing and praising God. All together in perfect peace and in, and in uh, this eternal glory. All of that wrapped together and then issuing forth from that praise to the one who created that. And... Christmas is kind of the start of those fulfillments. And so I hope that you desire to see more. So I uh, pray that you'd return praise to God now and meditate with him in your hearts and then we'll stand and sing together.